Welcome into the Shop Management Show presented by AutoLeap. I'm your host, Will. This podcast will explore the experiences, challenges, and lessons learned of auto repair shop owners. We will cover every topic imaginable from EVs to technician shortages, right to repair, and so much more. Please like, share, and subscribe to this podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. AutoLeap provides an all-in-one cloud-based shop management software that helps shop owners better understand their business, increase efficiency, and grow revenue. You can find a link to schedule a demo with AutoLeap in the show notes of this episode. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Helene Curat, owner of 360 Automotive in Cottonwood, Arizona. We will discuss Helene's experiences as a shop owner, leadership lessons she's learned along the way, and challenges that she's overcome. Helene, how are you? Good, how's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, I'm interested to start our conversation on your journey into becoming a shop owner what made, what motivated you to join the auto repair industry and how did you initially become involved? So initially it was, I got tired of paying other people to break my car for me. I can break it just fine on my own. So I had this, uh, it was a 98 Cavalier and I took it in for brakes and uh, like, oh yeah, you know, you need pads and rotors and pick it up and the pedals going up and down and the car's not even slowing down at that point. And they're like, oh, yeah, it sat over the weekend and the rear brakes rotted out. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's how that works, but sure, you know, whatever. Um, so then after that one, I went to uh, UTI and um, went through their program and then been doing it ever since. Yeah, that's amazing. In terms of your early experiences in the industry, what was your early experience, especially entering into a male-dominated industry? And how did you kind of adapt to that? Um, so the first job I got was really hard. Um, actually, while I was going to school, had taken all the ASE tests that as they were applicable at the time, um, went and got my state inspection license and it made it a lot harder for an employer to say no. Cause now when you're looking at, um, an application comparison, I have all these certifications and licenses and kind of hard to, to not make the argument as to who's more qualified at that point. Um, so the the first job was hard. After that, um, once they saw that I can actually do the job, the rest of it was pretty easy. The only issues I've ever had were in union shop, is what it is, I guess. Um, they're they're kind of clickish, but you know that is what it is. But as far as the aftermarket, I've never had an issue. I've been super fortunate, and all the guys I worked with the whole way up, amazing and super supportive. What were some of the early lessons you learned as you started your career that you began to incorporate, especially as you, you know, transitioned into being a shop owner? What were some of those early takeaways that uh, really stuck with you? A a lot of it was just trying to balance leverage and working smarter, not harder, um, and finding ways to adapt. Um, You know, the guys are, generally speaking, going to be a lot stronger. So it was finding the ways to get around that and still be able to, you know, do front end work and whatever else that required more of the the heavy lifting part. And I think at that point was where I started getting more into the diag end of it and the electronics, just because it, it was easier. And um, there was more of a thought process to it than just swinging a hammer and a wrench. Um, so I, I like that part. I like the challenge of it. And then when I had moved, originally I was in New York. So when I moved from New York and came out here, there was um, a discrepancy in how I wanted to work and the the working conditions and pay and how the shops were run. 
Um, and it kind of just got to a point where I was like, well, it, let's see what happens. And, you know, put everything in on a shop. And uh, that was eight years ago. And so far, it seems to have worked out pretty good. So I got lucky. <laughs> I know you just mentioned the diagnostics and uh, the electrical aspect. Do you like consider that like your specialization? Like, do you consider that a differentiator for you in terms of building up that knowledge base? And how have you applied that to your shop as like a unique differentiator? Um, yeah, a lot of the cars that we see have already been through a bunch of other shops and customers spent a bunch of money. And you know how that story goes. Um, so we, we have gotten that reputation. I actually get comments from shop owners because there's a couple of groups and we all meet together. Um, it's really nice out here because the shop owners don't compete against each other. We kind of help each other out and knowing who's stronger and what and kind of if we can't take it in, then we know who to send it to kind of deal. Um, and, and they do the same for us. So when I first started, I did a lot of um, 60 diesel work for Ford, and we just kind of developed that reputation for being good at it, and it kind of went from there. They kind of always took the stuff that nobody else wanted to touch with a 10-foot pole and figured out a way to make it uh, mutually beneficial for both us and the customer. So, so far, it's been pretty good. So we do a lot of light-duty diesel. We started getting a lot of Euro and... Uh, we get a lot of the newer cars. It was interesting because when I was in New York, we didn't really work on anything that was more than four or five years old because it would rust out. And then out here, everything's like that 10 to 15 year old average, um, if not older, because nothing rusts out here. So it was kind of nice. By the time I got out here, it was all those cars that I, I kind of like started working on from the beginning were with what was normal out here. And so it kind of worked out because they were starting to see that technology shift. Whereas out here, they're, they're 10 to 15 years behind other areas. So it was kind of nice to be able to come in and already have that, being familiar with those types of vehicles. Yeah, that's great to have that knowledge base uh, built in already. Wanted to fast forward a little bit to like your your start of your career as an actual shop owner. How did your like, you know, your friends and your family react to that when you, you told them you're, you're, you're running your own shop? So it took my parents a while to get over the, I was not going to med school, did not care who was paying for school, was not going. So that there was that, you know, oh, you want to be a mechanic and that kind of cloud that goes with that when you're grow up around people who, you know, your options are doctor, lawyer, accountant, pick one. So it, it took a minute. Um, and then there was the, you know, you work for somebody and there's that security net, you know, you can always go find another job or do whatever. And I was like, no, I'll figure it out myself, you know? So I guess I looked at the opportunity a little different. I never saw being an employee as a job security type position, um, at least not for me, but it, it was kind of interesting and it took a while for them to get over it, be comfortable with it. Like, no, I'm not, I can do this. I'm not going to starve to death. And it, it worked out and, and everybody, the community I moved to out in Arizona has been super supportive and I haven't had any issues like anytime I've needed something the whole community kind of reaches out and makes happen whatever we need to make happen so I've been very fortunate in that aspect yeah that's amazing I mean it's always nice to hear like it, it can be intimidating to branch out on your own but it, it's really nice to hear like you're you're doing what you're you're passionate about and what you love and now now it sounds like you have that amazing community built in how has that that sounds pretty unique in terms of auto repair shops having a sort of com community amongst one another. Uh, wanted to ask a little bit more about that. How does that work? And how did that come about? I know that probably took a little bit to uh, find that community. 
so I did when I was in New York, I went to trainings all the time. And that was where you, you meet other techs, you meet other um, shop owners, and you can kind of build that. It wasn't as tight back there. Um, but, you know, you could see that where if you had a problem with a car or something, you call somebody up and, oh, yeah, check this, that and the other thing. And, you know, they do the same. And then moving out here, one of the tool trunk companies actually came by. We have a, it used to be ASA. Now I think it's Southwest automotive something i'm blanking on the name but they get together once a month and it's all just a group of shop owners and um they discuss what's going on and any changes or um any new technology they're starting to see so it was kind of good like when they first swapped over like even with the ac refrigerant when they swapped over to the one two three four yf and the machines you know 10 15 grand and there's like three of them on the road at that point it's like all right well you know, we'll buy the machine, you'll buy the machine, and then everybody else, if they need a recharge or evac, you know, and we rotate it so everybody's not buying this $10,000 machine and we're all competing against each other. And we've done the same thing. Um, one of the other shops that had the room for it went and got the ADAS calibration stuff. And so we can all, you know, if somebody needs it, we just go there instead of everybody spending stupid money and it, it works. Yeah, that's really unique. I mean, it's like it goes one step beyond you guys even like supporting each other. You're actually working together and figuring out those solutions. And, you know, you talked about the ADOS equipment. That's really that's really interesting perspective. Wanted to ask about particularly difficult situations that you've faced in your shop that you've had to overcome. Do you have any examples of those? And what lessons did you take away from that that you applied forward to how you run your shop today? A lot of it was just not letting somebody else dictate how we do things. For the most part, like our customer base is, is awesome. Um, they they're the they throw keys at the desk, call me when it's done, and the only question they ask is, "Do you want cash or a credit card?" Every once in a while, we get somebody that um, wants to come in and thinks they know everything, and you know, you ask them, "Well, I, I understand you saw the YouTube video, so Dapa sells parts, they sell tools. Why are you here?" So there, there's been a little bit of that, and it's just being able to stand your ground and not give into that because anytime, you know, and it, it's even worse if like you're having a slow week because everybody's like, oh, I got to make money and we'll just take the one car in and we'll deal with it. And those are always the cars that end up backfiring and blowing up in your face regardless. And the same thing like with the older cars, like 1960s, 1970s, like I know that's not my area of expertise by any stretch. Like I'm like, oh, so that's what a carburetor looks like. Cool. No, I'm not going to even try to adjust it. And it was a little bit like once I got to the point where I had staff and trying to explain to them like that this is our this is our area and these are cars that yeah customers great people and we want them to be happy we don't need to have them come in here and we're gonna piss them off because it's a car we shouldn't touch you know and same thing if uh you know the car is just a, a complete train wreck and they're like oh, I want to fix this piece and you're looking at it like well I mean the the radiator cap's good we can go get another car to put under it. But, you know, it's just, it's making that decision and not get involved in certain things where even though you're trying to help somebody out, it's not going to work out the way that you, everybody's going to be happy in the long run. Yeah, that's really interesting. So do you think that some other shops do that where they kind of say yes to everything and then they don't like figure out their niche and where they really specialize in and then that kind of gets them into trouble in terms of running their business and interacting with customers? Absolutely. Um, I've seen it more, more frequently when you have like a chain 
type store or corporate run, or it's an absentee owner who invested in a shop but has never changed his own oil a day in his life. Um, and there's that different mentality because they look at it as, oh, you're a mechanic. The mechanic's sitting there like, that. that's nice. Uh, I mean, we can, but how much do you want to spend on trying? You know, and there, there's that gap where they don't, you know, put two and two together on that one. And for the most part, like a lot of those shops I deal with have, you know, we've all kind of figured out, okay, you know, like we got one guy that will program keys all day long and he cuts keys and, you know, and if 30 of us go out and we all buy the machine and equipment, well, now he's not making money off of his and we're all competing over the same three people. So a lot of it is, is breaking it up. There's plenty of work to go around, but if you try and do everything, you end up with millions of dollars in tools and then you're, you're not using them as frequently because everybody's just trying to undercut everybody. So we don't have that here and it, it's worked out. Wanted to go back to your relationship with customers because it sounds like you really do value transparency and sometimes telling them no or tell, telling them, no, we can't fix you, this aspect of your car. Does that build trust and like a genuine relationship where you're willing to be honest and maybe give them the ans uh, answer that they don't want to hear about their vehicle? Yeah, we've had a lot of people um, come back, you know, and we tell them, hey, the is, I mean, yeah, sure, somebody could fix the car with enough money, um, but this is, you know, what you're looking at. We can duct tape this together, but that still doesn't fix X, Y, and Z. And a lot of times, you know, we'll tell them, like, look, go, if you want to find another car, bring it back. We'll check it over before you buy it. Um, and that seems to be a hard thing for people to comprehend. They always bring it back, like, a week later, and, you know, it's falling apart. And it's like, yeah, why, before you bought it, what part of before did you, did you miss? But yeah, a lot of people do appreciate that. And, you know, we'll see them, you know, because it's a small town. So you go grocery shopping or whatever, you're, you're going to run into everybody. So um, it, it's nice to have that reputation where it's okay. They told me the truth. They didn't rip me off. They didn't try to do something that wasn't going to make a difference anyway. You know, every, every once in a while it happens, you know, you get that car where you think it's going to be one thing and you fix that one thing. And then you realize that, yeah, no, it, it's not there's way more to it but it helps when you got to call the customer after you do one piece of it and say hey after we got you know the battery change now we can test the rest of the system and um, it does build that trust so if you have to make that second or third phone call after you thought you had everything covered it, it helps i can definitely see how you know focusing on that long-term relationship and having those honest conversations can really make a difference in terms of the trust that you build. Wanted to pivot a little bit to uh, talk about the industry as a whole and how, from your perspective, the industry, the progress that's been made in terms of becoming more inviting. How, how do you think the industry has made progress towards becoming more inviting towards female shop owners and just female employees in general? Do you think there's still progress yet to be made on that front? I think it depends on where you're at is that out here it, it's been super supportive and 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 most of the places I work it's we get treated the same it's you know um we're just here to do a job and that's it and there I've seen like posts from other places where they're like oh I just hired my first female tech and what do I do and it's like does the door the bathroom have a door on it yeah okay same as you would anybody else like you you know, if they're starting from scratch, you train them the same way you would somebody else. If they're an experienced tech, you know, here's the work order and let them do what you're paying them to do. Um, 
the biggest thing I see them do is try to act like it's it's they should be treated different and it that's where you end up with other issues it's like I said the door has the bathroom has a door on it leave it alone like you don't have to go changing everything I remember when I first uh, started the snap on tool trucks used to hand out the calendars and the calendars had like half naked women in these cars and like the cars were great um there are the, the service manager comes in like the day after I started he's like you guys can't hang these up and blah 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 starts ripping them all down and I go on in the snap-on truck and he's like these are the only calendars they gave me I don't know what to do with this and I go and take the same calendar put it up on my box and I'm like that that's a nice Trans Am it was like this gorgeous like 1970 something you know pearl white with the blue and he's like you can't do that I'm like I just did I don't care like you're the one making the issue out of this like you know whatever um and then they did some you know there was a poster they hung up in the bathroom so I went and got the uh, other version of that magazine and put it up and kind of made a point and that was the end of that one but you know it was one of those like if you're going to be that easily offended how do you think the industry as a whole can work towards addressing those stigmas and eliminating them altogether? It's pretty much just not making an issue out of it. A lot of the issues they have is because they make it. You know, if everybody comes in and does what they're supposed to do and just, you know, you don't make an issue. Oh, like we're hiring a female tech and everybody's got to do X, Y, and Z. It's no, we hired a tech and don't do anything stupid. Same as you would tell them when they hired another guy. Don't put firecrackers in his toolbox. It'll be fine. <laughs> So how can the auto repair industry inspire more women to become involved in uh, aftermarket auto repair? I think it's like, it would be for any of their trades. It's just letting people know that the option is there. Going to school, like, it, like I said, it was doctor, lawyer, accountant, and none of, none of the trades were presented. Like there was no, hey, you could go and do construction. You can go and fix cars. Um, a lot of it and then I've heard too from like the older generation, oh, we didn't have that option. And it's like, well, did somebody tell you you couldn't? It's like, no, nobody told us it was even a thing. So a, a lot of it's just getting the word out there like, hey, you, there are other options that aren't sitting behind a desk. Absolutely. Wanted to get back to just general shop management, you know, lessons and insights. In terms of growth for your shop, what, what type of growth do you envision? And then how do you actually plan for that and begin executing on those goals that you have for your shop expanding so when i first opened the shop um you know a lot of shop owners and coaches will talk about like your a b and c level customers and i wanted to go straight for the a b customers so i knew it would be a slower growth but at the same time like it would be a, a consistent growth and you it would you'd be retaining that customer base versus somebody who's just like oh you're the cheapest and whatever um so I started out, I, I intentionally built it up slower. Um, instead of hiring a, a ATEC, I hired some kids out of the high school program. Um, one of them, seven years later, is still with me. Um, and he's turned into a, a solid E borderline ATEC at this point. So he's been awesome. Um, the other one's been with me, I think, three years. And, and it's worked out because then I don't have to worry about making sure I can feed, you know, a senior level tech. And at the same time, as the business grows, it's they they can turn more hours and it kind of it grows together and it, it's worked out. So I'm not worried about like, oh, I can't, you know, I don't have enough cars for him to work on this week or, you know, whatever the case may be. It's it's grown pretty consistent with them. Eventually I am gonna need a bigger shop, but 
I don't, I don't like the expense that comes with it. So I'm trying to find that balance still, see what it looks like. But I've also been fortunate because I built it slow and kind of cherry picked who I wanted to work with and work for as far as a customer base. Anytime we've had an economic downturn, um, where a lot of your shops that are, well, I shouldn't say lower level, but they're the, the cheaper shop. When the people lose their jobs, those people have no money and they have no customers. Whereas if you have people that are higher up on the food chain with whatever they're doing in life, that, that economic downturn doesn't affect them directly. So they're, they're still coming in, getting their car fixed. And it, it has helped in, in that respect too. I think that's really interesting what you mentioned about building your shop slow. I'm sure other shops may not have gone with that approach and try to do that rapid growth, get everything ramped at once. What went into the thought process of, and clearly it's, it's reaping rewards for you. What went into that thought process of taking things really slow and strategically? And how do you think other shop owners can apply that to managing their own business? It clicked with me a while ago. I was working for a chain and um, they would send out the, you know, oil chain specials like everybody does. Um, and they sent out, it was back in like 2008-ish when like synthetic oil was becoming a norm. And they sent out this like 29 cent oil change coupon and they had their tax working on street commission. I don't care what percentage you pay when you have a 29 cent ticket. First of all, none of your tax are going to want anything to do with it. And second, the customer that that brought in consistently, you couldn't sell them a wiper blade. You know, they, they were the ones that came in and the, the cords are sticking out and everything on the car is leaking. And it was just, it, there, there was no reason for it. And they're like, oh, the car counts up. It's like, yeah, but if you look at the numbers at the end of the day, the car counts sky high. And I've seen that even here. If we have a really high car count, we have a really low ARL. And it, it kind of registered like that there's a balance. You know, you need to, first of all, have people that are willing to buy whatever it is you're selling, um, or at least listen to the conversation. You know, we have customers that come in and you check the vehicle out. They don't have money that day, but they schedule it, you know, next week, next month, whatever the case may be. Um, whereas, you know, your 1999 oil change there, I don't want to say it's even that they don't want to, they're just never going to be in that position to fix, you know, financially. And it's, you know, there's a line between trying to help out those that need help. And I'm all for that. There are organizations we work with to help with that. Um, but at the same time, that's not our target customer. I can't afford to run a charity. It's just the reality of it. So how did you create that type of business environment where you're kind of attracting those customers who are actually willing to, you know, pay more money to repair their vehicle and not just looking for those, you know, those discount offers and those quick solutions? How did you uh, approach creating that type of shop environment? So when I first opened, I ran, um, I think it was a 5,000 mile service special and we were charging like, I want to say it was like 150 bucks, which was, you know, everybody... At the time, you're going back eight years, they're probably like the $29 oil change deal. So we were considerably higher um, and it had some pushback on it. And they're like, well, why are you charging that? I'm like, because I can change your oil. And if you don't buy anything else, that's fine. Like I, it did not, I did not lose money on the tech. I didn't lose money on the parts. It, it's if you want to fix your car, great. If you don't, that's fine. Um, I don't, I'm not forcing myself in a position where I have to sell you a bunch of stuff you don't need and that kind of helped build up that um that bridge and develop that customer trust um and then i get i want to say dvis were just starting to become a thing and uh we jumped on board with that and you know you show somebody pictures they have no clue what they're looking at 
but yeah, that that's covered in fluid. That's not good, you know, and it, it made it a lot easier. And we'd have people like, we take pictures of everything and, you know, you quote out what the car needs and they're like, well, what, what, what about this spot over here? And you're like, oh, that's not, that's not a big deal or it's residual. And they're like, oh no, I want, I see it on the picture, just fix it. So it, it was kind of cool having people just, yep, I see it, just go ahead. Yeah, it seems like you created that effect at your shop over time and it was likely a slower build, but it seems like you really have that type of environment now. Wanted to wrap things up by just asking if you had three pieces of advice based on your experience in the industry, you know, both coming up and then now as a, as a shop owner, what would those three pieces of advice be? So let's start with not making decisions based on what your bank account looks like right now. Um, you know, everybody wants to make money and do what they got to do. But if you're making a decision on how you're treating the customer and what you're selling or not selling based on whether or not you need to eat today or not. Um, and, and those are usually the times when you make decisions that put you in more of a hole and, you know, everybody's like, oh, I got to pay this bill. So we're going to work on this car, even though we know we shouldn't touch that car. Um, and that, that's where you end up going downhill pretty quick. Um, I think everybody learns that what, the hard way. And usually there's like once or twice a year that even those of us that know better go through it. We're like, oh, no, we can do it. It's not going to turn into a train wreck. And yeah, but we knew better. That would be the first one. Um, second one is don't be afraid to bring in techs to train. You know, bring in the kids out of high school and college and wherever it is in life they're coming from. Because if you don't train the next generation in five, 10 years, because that I hear that all the time out of people, they can't find an ATEC. Well, what have you done to help build any ATECs? You know, and they, they've always just hired, you know, whoever's going through um, the circle at that point. And it's, you got to start building them. Otherwise, there's not going to be any out. And third one, a lot of it, it and the one thing I struggled with because my team was young is just trusting your employees and staff to do the right thing. I know a lot of shop owners, they want to be in the shop 24 seven and they don't take a vacation. They don't take days off. They're constantly micromanaging and trying to put out a fire before it goes. And at, at some point you have to trust. Those are great leadership insights. And uh, I think those are very relevant for shop owners today. Well, thank you very much, Helene, for joining me today. And we'll be back soon with the next episode of the Shop Management Show presented by AutoLeap.